Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, we turn to the book of John as guest speaker Logan Hickey delivers this week's sermon. If you would like more information on the Hickey family's mission work to Scotland's housing schemes, please visit their website at www.harvest-scotland.com. So I was like, oh, yeah, Jesus says word two, right? And then we'll go back to verse one. Um, or, or, you know, Jesus, Jesus is uh, the, the life light, right? So There's so many different ways. How do you title uh, a sermon? You know, I, I don't know. Um, in my Bible, it says the word became flesh. That's pretty good. Um, but these three things about Jesus Christ in the first five verses of John, the word, the life and the light. Let's pray and then we'll read the passage and then we'll. I get into it. God, I do uh, come to you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing it to us, Lord, for, to uh, to reveal yourself uh, in a in a lot fuller way than just what we gather from creation around us. And uh, Father, thank you for your Spirit to uh, help us to understand your word. And Father, this morning I, I pray that you would um, help me to explain your word well in a way that we can all. Uh, hear and understand and benefit from. Lord, I, I pray that you would be um, glorified, that you would be honored, and that we would think much of Christ whenever we come away from this sermon this morning and little about ourselves, Father, that Christ would be held high, that he would be exalted, and Father, that, um, that we would um, see him as he is. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... John 1 1 I feel like should I stand on like a chair or something I feel like you know I feel like whenever Pastor Josh stands up here he's like this and when I stand up here I'm like this so maybe I guess you can still see me if I go over here uh, anyway John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John begins speaking of Jesus as the Word. We know that the Word is Jesus because he doesn't waste any time telling us this. And just scroll on down to verse 14. Uh, John writes in the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth so he tells us straight up jesus is the word that i'm speaking of in verse 1. in verse 18 john tells us why jesus became flesh and dwelt among us it says no one has ever seen god the only god who is at the father's side he has made him known and we think about Jesus being um, called the Word here. It, that's the purpose of words, is it not? You know, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. That's Jesus. He has made Him known. Well, Jesus be, is the Word of God, became flesh, dwelt among us to make God known. And even this morning, what am I doing? I'm using words to communicate to you a message to explain something. Um, you know, there's a saying that, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? 
So if a picture is worth a thousand words, how many words is a lifetime worth? We've got God as flesh dwelling among men for better than 30 years, right? To give us a pretty good, clear picture of who God is, how He interacts with people, um, what He's like, you know what I mean? And I just think of what a blessing it would have been to have been one of the disciples, right? One of the few who got to like be with Jesus. I mean, of course, Judas, we don't want to be Judas Iscariot, right? Any, any disciple except for him, right? Um, but to be with Jesus as he, as he talked, uh, as he walked, as he interacted with people, um, as he prayed. I mean, could you imagine uh, being with Jesus as he prays? I mean, to me, that would be pretty awesome, you know. Um, we have what is written about Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But man, to, to be there with them, right? Um, John writes in chapter 21, verse 25, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Right? So you've got all that Jesus did. All the books of the world cannot contain it. So how in the world do you, John, figure out what you're going to write about Christ and what you hope your readers to gain from Christ? You can't just go spastic and write down everything that Jesus did because we would be forever reading it, right? Um, what's the purpose of John's gospel? In chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John does not write in hopes that all who read will come away thinking that Jesus is some good man, that He's a good teacher, that He's a prophet, that He's some kind of political figure trying to set up a kingdom. Uh, Jesus, uh, John writes so that all who read will know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, that is eternal life, in Jesus' name. That's the main thing. Of all that he could have written, who knows how many more miracles that Jesus did that would blow our socks off that we don't even know about, right? Um, and here's John, who was with Jesus, who saw all that Jesus did, heard all that Jesus said, and saw all that Jesus suffered. And John writes what he writes so that we may believe that Jesus is in fact the Christ, that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, and that you and I, sinners, can have eternal life in His name through faith in Christ. I forgot to do a sound check. Can everybody hear me okay? Good, good. Uh, so the Lord has gifted Pastor Josh with, a, with, with great vocals Right. I've got to I've got to I've got to try a little harder sometimes. I got a little nervous the first time I saw him wiring them up with this thing because I thought it was going to tie into the speakers. Right. And we're all going to have to like move service outside and keep Josh in here. And, uh, you know, but then I kind of relaxed a little bit when, oh, it's just so, you know, people in the recording can, can hear better. Right. Uh, so if you can't hear me, let me know and I'll try to speak up. OK. Um, so where does a man start a book that he writes with the intention that those who read will be saved from their sins through Jesus? Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He starts with the beginning, showing the deity of Christ. That, is, that means that showing that Jesus is, in fact, God. Right? In the very first sentence of his book, John states three specific things about Jesus. And we're going to spend probably half of our time on this and then half of our time on verses 4 and 5. So don't freak out like whenever I spend a long time on verse 1 and you're like, well, we're going to be here forever. Um, three things from verse 1 about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is without beginning or end. Number two, Jesus and God the Father cannot be separated. And number three, Jesus is God. So first, Jesus is without beginning or end. So we read that straight up in verse 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we might uh, accidentally take away from this that the word was means it's something that happened at a point in time in the past, right? Uh, but the word was here, it's referring to a continuous action in past time, right? So in other words, before the beginning, Jesus, the Word, was. Before the beginning, the Word was. At the beginning, the Word was. All right, so in John chapter 8, Jesus has a run-in with the Jews. Jumping in at verse 57, So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, not in the kind kind of way, but to kill him. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What does Jesus mean when he says, before Abraham was, I am? By saying, I am, Jesus is saying of himself what God the Father said of himself in the Old Testament. And it just means simply this, that I exist. Right? So there was a, I don't know if you would call it a, a, a meme or a, or a comic or what, of a barber shop, and it had a sign in the window and it said, free haircuts tomorrow. Right? Now think about that a minute. You come back tomorrow and it's going to still say, free haircuts tomorrow. So when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying I exist, right? It's like Jesus is holding a sign throughout all eternity, I exist. Before creation, I exist. At creation, I exist. In front of the Jews, he's like, hey guys, I exist. Now he exists. Tomorrow he exists. He always exists, right? Jesus is, I am. The second thing that the Apostle John tells us within the first sentence of his book is that Jesus and God cannot be separated. That Jesus, the Word, was with God means continuous action in past time, right? The Word has always been with God and will always be with God. God is one in three persons. We refer to this as a trinity. We sang it in well, at least two hymns this morning, right? Um, and so that, that was pretty helpful. If you don't believe it, you should be ashamed of yourself because you've already sung it this morning twice. God is three in one. So that Jesus was with God shows that He is His own person within the Godhead. And we can see this even back at the beginning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. All right, so notice who all was in the beginning. All right, you got God the Father, right? In the beginning, God. You've got uh, the Spirit. Um, he was ho hovering over the face of the waters. And we know that Jesus was there because John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, right? So straight up from the beginning of the Bible, you're already faced with this huge doctrine of the Trinity, which is quite simple. And so after service, I want you to, to, to get Pastor Josh and Pastor Ben, back them up in a corner, and then team up on them and have them explain to you all that the Trinity means, right? Okay? Um, so, and then I'll just go ahead and run out the door. Um, but God is one God, but three persons of the Godhead. Uh, Jesus was with God in the beginning. He's always been with God. This means they cannot be separated. There's a tight unity that is there between the Father and the Son. Jesus remains with God, dwells with God, tarries with God. Jesus is always with God. They are inseparably united together. Now, some of you know my cousin Clint. Um, him and I had some pretty good times growing up. We were pretty tight, and uh, we did a lot of things together. We were usually hunting or fishing or four-wheeler riding uh, or mudding, uh, getting in trouble um, at any point point in time you know if we were to do like a little slideshow here you, you know i'm not going to say that all these are fact i'm going to say you know you might have seen you know a, a live coyote in the back of her truck as we're driving down 545 um and, and he wasn't our pet either um you might have uh seen us flying down the road uh on our four wheelers and dirt bikes going faster than the speed limit you might have uh seen us doing donuts in fields and throwing mud everywhere you may or may not have seen us do these things but we had a lot of good times together right we were tight and whenever i wasn't home and clinton wasn't at my house we were usually at his house right and we just had good times together right and uh so whenever i went to college um in evansville i had a, a part-time job at a lumber yard and a couple of guys I work with, they're like, man, Logan, all your stories always start with one time Clint and I. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's right. Clint and I, were, we had a lot of good times together, man. And, uh, but, you know, God the Father and God the Son are a lot tighter than any relationship we have in this life, right? And not only in this life, but think about it. All of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, forever. No beginning, no end eternally existing all the time, very tight unity, right? We can kind of maybe taste a little bit of the tightness there. All right, so what's that to us? All right, what's that mean to us? Well, remember what took place at the cross um, as Jesus... <laughs> Golly, I hope I can make it through this, guys. Uh, I tell you, whenever uh, I was studying this, I was just crying in, in, in my room. Um, so, pretty uh, astounding truths that I wish I could take that I had in my study and just like, you know, do one of those things you see in the Marvel movies where I like hit the ground and the wave goes out and you're just shocked by it, right? Um, 
if I could do one of those things, I could. I'm going to try to to get this in a way to where it, it impacts us as it should. At the cross, right, Jesus suffered great pain physically, but notice what else happened besides just this physical pain. Matthew 27, 46, Jesus cries out from the cross with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? You've got Jesus, the Son, eternally existing with the Father, crying out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To forsake someone means to abandon them, to desert them, to leave them helpless. Right? Something very painful happened within the sacred and eternal union between Father and Son that had never happened before the cross, nor ever will happen again after the cross. Now, when we dive into things like this, there, there's room for, some, blah, room for some confusion. So to eliminate all confusion, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Uh, the unity within the Trinity was not broken, was not severed, uh, did not cease to exist, right? Jesus did not cease to be the one with the Father at the cross. However, speaking in the physical realm, just as Jesus experienced every bit of physical pain because he was an actual physical man on the cross, so Jesus experienced an abandonment from God as he was actually taking your sin and my sin, serving as the actual sacrifice for all who would believe on his name. So without treading into the unknown, this is what we know for sure. Jesus, the Son of God, who has always been with the Father, cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is written in Hebrews 13, 5, speaking of uh, God toward the believer. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that awesome? The Son of God, who has always been with God and will always be with God, endured a forsakenness from the one he has forever been with in order to redeem all who would come to Jesus for salvation. Jesus took our sins upon himself at the cross and because of our sins endured a forsakenness from God the Father. If you are in Christ this morning, you will never experience being forsaken by God. And let that sink in for a moment. You'll never experience being forsaken by God. The only time throughout eternity that Jesus was not with God as completely as at all times before and since was because of you and me. Now, think about this a little bit. If sin is so wicked, so disgusting, so nasty, that God the Father forsook Christ at the cross as He became sin in our place, what hope do you have if you're not in Christ? Will God accept you in your sin when He forsook Christ because of the sin He took upon Himself? I can tell you confidently He will not. So it's, it's humbly I come this morning bringing this message. If you're redeemed, we rejoice in it. If you're not redeemed, you need to be faced with the seriousness of what is being spoken this morning. The third thing the Apostle John tells us within the first sentence is that Jesus is God. The Word was God 
has always been God and will always be God. Now, there is more than one group today, and there's been more than one group throughout church history. I don't remember. Actually, I think you mentioned it on Wednesday night, did you not? From the AD 300s, the group who, who uh, um, it was either this Wednesday or last Wednesday, I can't. Either way, this has been around for like a long time, right? People who believe that Jesus was not God, that he was a God, not the God. The group that is with us today, that who believes this, the main group I would say would be the Jehovah's Witness, right? Um, so we kind of have a break from them now because of the pandemic. That's a joke maybe I shouldn't make, uh, but they don't knock on doors right now too much, right? Um, so uh, if you get a Zoom call from an unknown number, don't take it. I don't know what else to say. Um, but there's a, uh, so enough picking. Um, so they not only, um, not only do they not believe that Jesus is God, but they have retranslated the Bible in a way that presents Jesus as a God instead of the God. Right? So the way they translate John 1, verse 1, is an example. They translate it as follows. And you can fact check me on this. That's fine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Right? So their argument is that the definite article, the word the, is not provided in the original text, right? But that in doing so, they ignore some important grammar rules when translating from Greek to English and fail to be consistent in whatever rules they do use, even, in, even just in John chapter 1. All right, so listen to one, John 1, 1 as it reads straight from the original language. Your socks will be blown off, right? All right, straight from Greek to English. In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the God, and God was the Word. Okay, now, I may not be the world's smartest man, but whenever you translate Greek to English and it says that God was the Word, it kind of makes me think that God was the Word, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, so basically what they're doing is they're bringing their own false ideas to the Bible and then retranslating the Bible in a way that fits their false teaching. It's also worth pointing out that just in John chapter 1, I'm not even going to explore the rest of the Bible, just John chapter 1, there are five times where the word God does not have the definite article with it in the original language, all right? Verse 1, verse 6, verse 12, verse 13, verse 18, and the only one the Jehovah Witness translate as a God instead of a capital G God is the one whenever it pertains to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And that's just in John 1, 1, right? So now listen, you don't have to understand Greek. I don't even understand Greek. I just understand how to use like BibleHub.com, right? And look at the interlinear and then click on the number and then and, and, and the Greek word and then like see all the research that everybody smarter than me has done, right? So you, you, you can use tools like that, right? But you don't even have to do that, right? You just have to understand the Bible. You just need to know the Bible, read the Bible, know the Bible, and you will know that Jesus is God. Uh, John writes, um, the Word was God. And what John states specifically in verses 2 and 3 further establish this fact. Verses 2 and 3 of John 1, speaking of Jesus, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
All right, so Jesus is God. That fact is further established because He is, excuse me, sorry, the Creator. Simply put, He who created cannot be created. Therefore, He who created is eternal. Even our little human minds understand this, right? The, uh, the created doesn't, we don't create. We just make things out of stuff that already exists, right? There's a joke. I don't know if I can remember. I aim to look it up so I wouldn't be standing up here like this trying to remember it off memory. Uh, but basically, it goes something like you have an atheist and, and, and God, and, um, and the atheist tells God, look, I can make something from nothing as well. And then so they go to prove it, right? This little showdown, right? And so they both start getting a little bit of dirt, and God looks over at the atheist and he says, get your own dirt, right? So I'm sure it's funnier, you know, look it up how it's really supposed to be. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, the, the created, we don't create, right? Jesus is God. That fact is further established because He is the Creator. And if John 1, 2, and 3 wasn't enough, we have at least two other passages I'm going to bring this morning. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. It's interesting, isn't it? The Word... His God spoke to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Right? The world was created through Jesus, and even now Jesus upholds the universe by the word of His power. If this weren't enough, Colossians 1.17, speaking of Jesus, says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So, stay with me here. Not only is the fact that Jesus is God shown through creation, and that Jesus is currently holding all creation together, but furthermore, at the end of time, we will stand before Jesus. Right? Why will we stand before Jesus? Why would we stand before Jesus if Jesus weren't God? We stand before Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Philippians chapter 2, 9-11, speaking of Jesus, says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see from John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is without beginning or end. Jesus and God cannot be separated. Jesus is God. We have seen that verses 2 and 3 further establish that Jesus is God. So let's move on to verses 4 and 5 here where Jesus is spoken of as life and light. Right? So John 1, verse 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
So in the first five verses of John, Jesus is called the Word, the Life, and the Light. Right? So what does all this mean about Jesus being life? Staying in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 24 through 29, if you want to turn there and notice how many times this passage talks about life. John chapter 5, 24 through 29. Jesus is speaking and He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted also has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, notice not yet, but an hour is coming, when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that Jesus did during His ministry on earth that is extremely impressive is raising people from the dead, right? I mean, He had Lazarus, right? Lazarus was dead for three days. And like, I'm not, like the King James language here is just funny. You know, it's like, Lord, don't bring him out by now. He stinketh. Right? I like the word stinketh. It just sounds funny. Every time I'd hear a King James preacher say stinketh, I would just laugh. Um, that's a side note. That was bonus. Sorry. Uh, but Lazarus dead for three days, right? And Jesus raises him up from the dead. That's pretty impressive, right? Uh, that's pretty miraculous. Um, but the bad thing about it is, you see, that Lazarus died again. You know, everybody else is like, oh, this is awesome. Lazarus is back. And Lazarus is like, oh, great. Hey, guys, how you doing? I get to die again. You know, uh, that's the bad thing about being raised from the dead. You get to experience death twice, you know, and then the third time, right? Whenever everything comes into judgment. But what is better and bigger and more glorious than that is when a person hears the voice of Jesus, not in some mystical sense, but hears what Jesus has said, as is found in the Word of God, the Bible, when a person hears what Jesus says and believes on Jesus, that person is raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. And when the hour does come, that is spoken of in John 5, 28 and 29, when that hour does come, that soul who has trusted in Christ will be raised to fullness of eternal life, the resurrection of life, right? But those who do not hear Jesus' words, who do not trust in Him alone for salvation, are dead in their sins. Unless they hear Jesus and believe in Him, they will be raised to judgment, the resurrection of judgment. So what this means is right now you're either dead or alive. Even though you hear the words that I speak and you can see me, we are either dead or alive spiritually. If you are... Um, in Christ, having your sins forgiven, you are alive. If you are not having your sins forgiven through Christ, you are dead in your sins. 
And if you're in your sins, you need to understand that you're not living it up. The world has this way of, of painting Christians as we're just the party poopers, right? That just rain on every parade. And that those who are in sin, man, they're living it up. Look, if you're in sin, you're like the, the, the guy, you know, imagine yourself in a Barbie car in the driveway, you know, doing circles, holding the door shut so you don't fall off, out, hoping your wheel doesn't fall off while you're toying around in your driveway in a little Barbie car, right? Instead of being like in Lamborghini doing, what, 100 and something down the highway, that, that's life right there. I mean, not really. Don't go do that, right? Get pulled over. Hey, the preacher told me to go fast down the interstate. That's not what I'm talking about, right? There's a comparison here, right? You're not living it up if you're in sin, right? You might be having fun. You might be enjoying yourself, but you're not living life. You're like the man in the Barbie car, okay? When the end comes, every soul will be resurrected. It's not a question of whether or not there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection, and each soul will either be resurrected to eternal life with Christ, who is the life in heaven, or they will be resurrected to judgment, right? John writes in further about life in 1 John 1, 1 through 2, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Jesus is the eternal life that John speaks of here in 1 John. Right? So what does he mean in a nutshell that Jesus is life? He means that Jesus is the possessor of life and the giver of eternal life. In Jesus was life and the life, Jesus was the light of men. But you need to understand this doesn't mean that there's a little bit of Jesus in everybody. Okay, It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that every person is going to be saved. It means that Jesus makes eternal life known and available to mankind. Every person, now stick with me and listen to my words closely so you don't get confused and think I'm saying something I'm not. Every person has the capacity to be redeemed because each person is made in the image of God, right? So there's a distinction made here. In Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. What is meant here is that mankind is different from any other creature that God created. Right. So a pet, however dearly loved that pet is, does not have the capacity to be redeemed. Right. There's a distinction in between man and all other living things. However, this does not undermine the fact that man is totally depraved and will not come to God apart from God drawing that person to himself. Mankind is equipped with the capacity to be redeemed. Salvation happens, listen, salvation happens when that redemptive capacity is activated by faith and that person is then saved by God's grace because of the finished work of Christ at the cross. And they receive life. They receive Jesus. Life now, fullness of life to come. If that doesn't make sense, see me afterwards. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. All right, so what does this mean 
that Jesus is light. Well, um, when it's dark outside, you know, I think of times whenever I've camped, right? When it's dark outside, um, we struggle to see what is around us. And even the little that we do see, isn't, we don't see it clearly as it really is. But when daylight comes, we can see clearly, right? What looks at like monsters at the night are actually like hay bales or something like that, right? The, when daylight comes, we can see clearly. Spiritually, this world is dark, right? Our ability to understand, now I'm talking about humanity in general, right? Our ability to understand spiritual biblical truths is dark. We do not see clearly. That's why you have all of the false religions in the world, right? One of the reasons why. But when Jesus, as the light, shines in our heart, soul, and mind, revealing to us the way of salvation as it actually is, we understand it and we receive it and we are no longer deceived by the darkness. What blows my mind is people don't always want this. All right? Like, like why would you not want to see clearly how your soul can be saved, right? John chapter 3, um, perhaps the best commentary on, on this. And notice again here how many times the word light is spoken. John chapter 3, 18 through 21. Whoever believes in Him, that is Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. All right, so look through the passage. Who are the ones who are condemned? The ones who do not believe in Jesus. Why do they not believe in Jesus? Because they love darkness rather than light. No person will be able to stand before God at the last day and accuse Him of not providing a way of escaping the judgment that they will be facing at that day, right? So let me paint a little word picture, all right? So imagine that the, the doors in this room were solid and you couldn't see outside. Even though it's daylight outside, you can't see outside, right? And electricity goes out, right? Well, even if it's your first time here, you're going to know how to get out of the building because there's an exit sign that's lit up above the door that will stay on even if electricity goes out, right? Showing you the way to get out of this dark room. You get what I'm saying? All right, God wants you to be saved. He has provided a way of escape. God wants you to take that way of escape. That door is Jesus Christ. All right, but this is the judgment. Jesus came and few wanted what he came, what he came to offer. Now, don't get me wrong here. The crowds loved the food, the healing, the, oh, here, raise another person from the dead for us, Jesus. That was awesome, right? They loved all that stuff. Many of the same reasons people like Jesus today is because they think that, they, that you know, he's going to give them all this good stuff, right? No, nobody has ever not wanted the good things physically that Jesus gives, right? But they didn't want the light. They didn't want the life. They loved darkness because their works were evil. It's not that Jesus holds out something worthless, Right? What He holds out is what we need, what we cannot buy, what we cannot obtain for ourselves. 
but so many see what Jesus has and what it means to follow him. See, whenever he says believe in the name of the Son of God, he means believe in Jesus and all that is Jesus, right? He doesn't just mean believe in a, a guy named like Bob or George or whoever, Jesus and everything and all that Jesus is en encompasses, right? So they, uh, so many people see what Jesus has and what it means to follow him and they run, right? They run to the darkness they love. They don't run to the light. They run to the darkness they love. And they love the darkness because their works are evil. They do wicked things. They love the things of the darkness and they do what they do to get away from the light. They do what they do to get rid of the light. But you know what? It's no use because the light ain't going anywhere. The darkness does not overcome the light. The light cannot be defeated. All right. So as we bring this in here to a close, what does this mean for you and I right now today? What's this mean for us sitting here today? Staying within the Gospel of John Seal in chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. Jesus said to them, all right, remember who the light is? The light is Jesus, reveals salvation, right? John 12, 35, 36, Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of of light okay so jesus is the light that darkness has not and will not overcome what he's calling us to in john chapter 12 is to believe in the light believe in christ while you can while there's hope there is coming a day when you will no longer be able to call on the name of the lord in a way that will save your soul jesus is saying now while you have time while there's hope before it's too late Believe in the light so that you may become sons and daughters of light. So now listen to this. If darkness cannot overcome the light and you have believed in the light and you have become a son or daughter of the light and the light now lives in you, darkness cannot overcome you. you smell what I'm stepping in? Don't believe in the light and then walk around all defeated like, right? The darkness will not overcome the light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That is the dark and sinful world has not overcome Christ or his church or his followers. You know, what, what cracks me up sometimes is people think, oh, will, will churches ever meet again? Well, I'm pretty sure the church has met for like 2000 years. I don't think the coronavirus is gonna like make the church not meet, right? The darkness has not overcome Christ. It has not overcome his church. It has not overcome his followers. In addition to this, I believe it also means that the light shines in the darkness of our hearts and the darkness that still resides in our flesh, the darkness that forces upon us from the world and the dark influences of the devil will not overcome that light that is within the believer. If Christ has shown in your heart, darkness will not overcome, nor will he permit his light to go out. But listen and be prepared and be equipped. Just because darkness has not overcome the light doesn't mean that darkness doesn't fight against the light. Right? There are believers who are 
today meeting in secret because that's the only way they can meet because darkness is trying to extinguish the light. They can't extinguish the light, but it tries to extinguish the light, right? Darkness has not overcome, will not overcome, but it will fight against the light. The darkness is why you feel all defeated like, right? The darkness is why you're tempted to go back to the sin that you left. Darkness is why you feel down. Darkness is why you feel depressed. Darkness is why you feel helpless. Darkness is why sometimes we just want to give up. Toss in the towel. Call it quits. Right? That's not the light shining in you. That's the darkness that's battling against the light that's within you. Okay? Don't be fooled. The great lie of American Christianity is that when you believe in Jesus, everything magically gets better. Right? And all will be prosperous and comfortable. That's why Joel Osteen has a church in Texas and not Somalia. Right? Okay? The devil works that lie. The devil is perfectly content with you following false religion, with you following a Jesus that doesn't really exist. He's content with that. He likes that. He will promote it. He might help you get a brand new car, right? The truth is, when you believe that what Christ did in your place on the cross is sufficient payment for your sin, it is at that point you become a son or daughter of light, but it is also at that point you enter into an all-out spiritual war. Right? In, in, in a sense, all hell is broken loose against your soul to try to drag you back into the sin that you've left, left or at least to try to make you, um, what's the word I got written down, ineffective, right? So don't think that it's going to line up either, right? Don't be expecting some kind, of, some kind of break to where you arrive at a place to where you're no longer tempted, to where you're no longer uh, trying to be persuaded to go back to the life that you once lived, right? Don't be expecting some kind of break from the spiritual warfare. It ain't going to come in this life. Press on. Fight the good fight of faith. Finish the race that is set before you. And if you're wondering whether you're in darkness or light, if none of this makes sense, folks, you're in darkness. You haven't yet passed from death to life. Jesus is saying, look, I am the way of escape from this dark world. Right? Believe in me while there's still time. John stands as one who was with Jesus during his ministry, who witnessed the crucifixion, who saw the risen Lord, and who has written concerning the risen Lord. And he is saying to us here, I have written what I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So while you have the light, Believe in the light that you may become a son or a daughter of the light. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for not leaving us in our sins. Father, how easy it would have been for you to just wipe your hands clean of us, Father. But not, not only do you not leave us in our sins, Father, once you save us from our sins, you're still patient with us whenever we fail, whenever we falter. Father, and, and, and whenever men laugh at us because we can't walk the perfect life that we want to live, Father, even still then you are patient with us and you are saving us and you are sanctifying us and you are making us to look more and more like Christ. We might be pitiful examples of what it means to be like Christ, Father, but we have joy knowing that you are continually working on us, growing us and conforming us to the image of your Son. 
Father, for those and anyone who have heard this message this morning who is in darkness, Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of their understanding, that they would see Christ, that he is the word, the full explanation of you yourself, that in him is life and that in him is life, uh, light and in him is salvation and everything that we need. Father, thank you for your word. May your name be glorified through the preaching of your word. And may we hold the name of Christ high. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.